0: Thank you, ladies, for ministering in music. Our God is faithful. He is unchanging. We should desire to be sensitive and responsive to him in light of who he is. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we can worship you because of your pursuit of us. We thank you that we can be doers of your word and not hearers only. And it's our desire to live in a deep sensitivity to your spirit at work in us because Christ is our life as we interact with your word. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen. What is the abomination that causes desolation? When will this abomination take place? Why would Jesus speak of this abomination that causes desolation? How will Christ return? Let's take our Bibles and turn to Mark chapter 13. Reading the entire chapter together. Jesus has been revealed, as we discuss the book of Mark, progressively revealing who he is as the Son of God. In chapters 11 we have, and 12, we had the triumphal entry, then Jesus clearing the temple, ministering in the temple, and in some respects, rejecting, basically, the worship of the temple. And in chapter 13, we find that uh, Jesus is leaving the temple and shares some concerning the temple. Mark chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. As he was leaving the temple, one of the, his disciples said to him, Look, teacher, what massive stones, what magnificent buildings. Do you see all these great buildings? replied Jesus. Not one stone here will be left on another, every one will be thrown down. As Jesus was sitting on the Mount of Olives, opposite the temple, Peter, James, John, and Andrew asked him privately, Tell us, when will these things happen, and what will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? Jesus said to them, Watch out that no one deceives you. Many, many will come in my name, claiming I am he, and will deceive many. When you hear of wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. Such things must happen, but the end is still to come. Nation will rise against nation." And kingdom against kingdom. There will be earthquakes in various places and famines. These are the beginning of birth pains. You must be in your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and flogged in the synagogues. On account of me, you will stand before governors and kings as witnesses to them. And the gospel must first be preached to all nations. Whenever you are arrested and brought to trial, do not worry beforehand about what to say. Just say whatever is given you at the time, for it is not you speaking, but the Holy Spirit. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me, but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you see the abomination that causes desolation, standing where it does not belong, let the reader understand. Then let those who are in Judah flee to the mountains. Let, not one on the, let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter the house to take anything out. Let no one in the field go back to get his cloak. How dreadful it will be in those days for pregnant women and for nursing mothers. Pray that this not take place in winter because those days because those will be days of distress unequaled from the beginning when God created the world until now and never to be equaled again. If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would survive but for the sake of the elect whom he has chosen he has shortened them. At that time if anyone says to you, look, here is the Christ or look, there he is Do not believe it, for false Christs and false prophets will appear and perform signs and miracles to deceive the very elect, if that were possible. So be on your guard. I've told you everything ahead of time. But in those days, following that distress, the sun will be darkened, and the moon will not give its light. The stars will fall from the sky, uh, and the heavenly bodies will be shaken. At that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in clouds with great power and glory. And he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Now learn this parable from the fig tree. As soon as its twigs get tender and its leaves come out, you know that summer is near. Even so, when you see these things happening, you know that it is near right at the door. I tell you the truth. This generation will certainly not pass away until all these things happen. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. No one knows about the day or the hour, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. Be on your guard, be alert. You do not know when the time will come. It's like a man going away. He leaves his house and puts his servants in charge each with his assigned task, and tells the one at the door to keep watch. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know when the owner of the house will come back, whether in the evening or at midnight, or when the rooster crows or at dawn. If he comes suddenly, do not let him find you sleeping. What I say to you, I say to everyone, watch. As we think about this passage of Scripture, I realize there's a lot of discussion and so on concerning this passage, when things take place, how they take place, and so on. We want to look at particularly verses 14 through 27. But as we do, keep in mind that there was a question raised in verse 4. As Jesus and the disciples are opposite the temple... They say, tell us when these things will happen. What things are they talking about? Apparently, what Jesus said in verse 2, do you see all these great buildings? Not one stone here will be left to another. Every one will be thrown down. So, when will these things happen? When are these stones going to be taken down? And Jesus' answer is given in verses 5 through 13, when he says, apparently going to be an extended period of time, where there's world events going to take place, there's going to be wars, rumors of wars, you know, people will come claiming they're the Christ, there will be famines in various places and so on, nation will rise against nation. He says there will be persecution in verses 9 through 11, which we discussed last week. And he says there will be family breakdown, father against children, children against father, and so on. And at the end, he says, don't worry about what you're going to say. You no, know, the Spirit will give you guidance. And he also says, and then verse 13, he who stands firm to, firm to the end will be Satan. Then we want to look at another question. In verse 4 What will be the sign that they are about to be fulfilled? What will be the sign that the stones of the temple and so on being torn down, what's the sign that they're about to be fulfilled? And Jesus answers, when you see the abomination that causes desolation where it does not belong. And that's discussed in verses 14 through 27. So, in light of verses 5 through 13, when will these things happen? And then, what will the sign be? And I think that's answered in verses 14 through 27. Now, in verses 14 through 27, there's a flow of the passage. In verse 14, Jesus speaks about the abomination that causes desolation. In verses 15 through 19, I guess you would say he gives a warning. Let no one on the roof of his house go down or enter his house to take anything don't let the one in the field go back to get his cloak and so on. In verse 20, if the Lord had not cut short those days, apparently the days that are involved with the abomination of desolation, no one would survive. In verses 21 through 23, apparently at that time related to the abomination of desolation, people will say, look, here is the Christ, or look, there he is. And Jesus says, don't believe them. In verses 24 and 25, he says in those days, apparently the days related to the abomination of desolation, the temple, the sun will be darkened, the moon will not give its light, the stars will fall from the sky, the heavenly bodies will be shaken. And then in 26 and 27, he says, at that time, men will see the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great glory. I want to give issue a word of warning as we discuss these verses. Beware of trying to put everything into a neat little package and say, I got it all figured out. Because if you do that, then you will differ with most people down through the ages. No, we may say, we think we got some of it figured out, but don't be too dogmatic in trying to figure everything out. I will give you where I think the passage is coming from and some reasons. But I'm not going to be super dogmatic in that. I will live with some mystery and say I'm not positive (laughs) about everything. But in relation to verse 14, Jesus says, When you see the abomination that causes desolation standing where it does not belong. (laughs) When you think about the abomination of desolation, I think we need to reflect on Daniel chapter 9. And you can turn there if you want. We'll be reading that in a few minutes. But as we go to the book of Daniel, I think it's very important again to keep in mind the context in which Daniel was written. When Daniel and the events involved in Daniel are are when Judah was taken into captivity. They had sinned. They had not been obedient. They're taken into captivity for judgment. 70 years of captivity they're under judgment when many of the events are taking place in Daniel or when Daniel receives the prophecy also understand that when Daniel is written or when the events are given that the temple in Jerusalem has been destroyed nebuchadnezzar came on three different occasions to take <clears throat> Judah And then we know that the temple was destroyed. We also know at this time that there were at least a few faithful people. We know that Daniel and his three friends. Some of you remember singing, you know, Daniel. Or Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, you know, in the fiery furnace. You know, dare to be a Daniel, and so on. There were faithful people in Judah in spite of the judgment that was taking place. The items I think emphasized in the book of Daniel... One of them would be the Lord's faithfulness to his covenant. Covenants, I should say. He made a covenant with Abraham. The Lord is being faithful to that. The Lord made a covenant with Moses and it involved Israel and Judah. And he is being faithful to that. Why would the Lord even pursue them if he was not faithful to his covenant? Also emphasized in Daniel is the Lord's sovereignty over the universe, over nations and kingdoms. Babylon took Judah into captivity. Before Babylon, we had the Assyrians would have taken the northern ten tribes into captivity, never to return. We know following Babylon, the Medo-Persian Empire came on the scene, fulfilling some of Daniel's prophecy. Following the Medo-Persian Empire, we have the Grecian Empire and then the Roman Empire. God is sovereign over nations, And I want to emphasize, too, that Nebuchadnezzar is very dominant in the first part of Daniel. And we know Nebuchadnezzar, at least early on, was not what we would call a believer in God. But yet, Nebuchadnezzar is called the servant of God. So Nebuchadnezzar with the Babylonians came to take Judah because... God is sovereign over nations. So he raised up a more evil nation, according to Habakkuk, to take Judah into captivity. God is sovereign. It's written all over Daniel. The purpose of Daniel, as you study the book of Daniel, is to encourage Judah in the midst of judgment. And to show that the Lord is faithful to his covenants. He's not done with his people Judah. In the context of Daniel 9, it is taking place, or Daniel's prayer in Daniel 9, and what God says to Daniel 9, would, be, would come towards the end of the 70 years of captivity. They've been in captivity for 70 years. Coming towards the end of that captivity, Daniel is reflecting upon what promise the Lord had made concerning judgment. So he prays to God. And we find that the Lord returns by sending Gabriel. Now for the flow of the context, let's begin with verse 1. In the first year of Darius, son of Xerxes, a Mede by descent, who was made ruler of the Babylonian kingdom, in the first year of his reign... I, Daniel, understood from the scriptures, according to the word of the Lord given to Jeremiah the prophet, that the desolation of Jerusalem would last 70 years. So he's reading apparently what Jeremiah or heard what Jeremiah said, and he's thinking, ah, 70 years, we're getting to the end of 70 years. So I turned to the Lord God and pleaded with him in prayer and petition, in fasting and in sackcloth and in ashes. Notice his prayer. I prayed to the Lord my God and confessed, O Lord, the great and awesome God, who keeps his covenant of love with all who love him and obey his commands. We have sinned and done wrong. Notice the plural. We have been wicked and have rebelled. We have turned away from your commands and laws. We have not listened to your servants the prophets who spoke in your name to our kings, our princes, and our fathers, and to all the people of the land. Lord, you are righteous, but this day we are covered with shame. The men of Judah, and the people of Jerusalem, and all Israel, both near and far, in all the countries where you have scattered us because of Our unfaithfulness to you. O Lord, we and our kings, our princes, and our fathers are covered with shame because we have sinned against you. The Lord our God is merciful and forgiving, even though we have rebelled against him. We have not obeyed the Lord our God or kept the laws he has given or gave us through his servants the prophets. All Israel has transgressed your law and turned away, refusing to obey. Very, very strong confession to God for all of Israel. Middle of verse 11, Therefore the curses and the sworn judgments written in the law of Moses, the servant of God, have been poured out on us, because we have sinned against you. You fulfilled the words spoken against us and against our rulers by bringing upon us great disaster. Under the whole heaven, nothing has ever been done like this like what has been done to Jerusalem, just as it is written in the law of Moses. All this disaster has come upon us, yet we have not sought the favor of the Lord our God by turning from our sins and giving attention to your truth. The Lord did not hesitate to bring disaster upon us, for the Lord our God is righteous in everything he does, yet we have not obeyed him. Now, O Lord our God, who brought your people out of Egypt with a mighty hand, and who made for yourself a name that endures to this day. We have sinned. We have done wrong. O Lord, in keeping with all your righteous acts, turn away your anger and your wrath from Jerusalem, your city, your holy hill. Our sins and the iniquities of our fathers have made Jerusalem and your people an object of scorn to all those around us. Now, our Lord hear our prayers and petitions of your servant. For your sake, O Lord, look in favor on your desolate sanctuary. Give ear, O God, and hear. Open your eyes and see the desolation of the city that bears your name. We do not make request of you because you are righteous, but because of your great mercy. O Lord, listen. O Lord, forgive. O Lord, hear and act. For your sake, Oh, my God, do not delay because your city and your people bear your name. In light of the flow of Daniel 9, I don't think you can understand the end of chapter 9 until you understand the beginning of chapter 9. A promise has been made. Israel or Judah is in captivity because God is being faithful to his promise. Judah was unfaithful. Daniel confesses for all the Jews. He's concerned about the Lord's city, Jerusalem, which bears his name. He's concerned about the temple in Jerusalem. So he confesses. And then he talks to God. And notice what happens in verse 20. While I was speaking and praying, confessing my sin and the sins of my people Israel, and making my request to the Lord my God for his holy hill, while I was still in prayer, Gabriel, the man I'd seen in the earlier vision, came to me in swift flight about the time of the evening sacrifice. He instructed me and said to me, Daniel, I have now come to give you insight and understanding. As soon as you began to pray, an answer was given, which I've come to tell you, for you are highly esteemed. Therefore, consider the message and understand the vision. Seventy sevens are decreed for your people and your holy city to finish transgression, to put an end to sin, to atone for wickedness, to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal up vision, and prophecy, and to anoint the most holy. Now notice the beginning of verse 24, 77s are decreed for your people and for your holy city. It ties in with the Jewish people and the city of Jerusalem. Verse 25, know and understand this, from the issuing of the decree to restore and rebuild Jerusalem until the anointed one, the ruler, comes, there will be seven sevens and sixty-two sevens. It will be rebuilt with the streets and a trench, but in times of trouble. After the sixty-two sevens the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. The people of the ruler will come, or the, the people of the ruler will come, will destroy the city and the sanctuary. The end will come like a flood. War will continue until the end, and desolations have been decreed. He will confirm a covenant with many for one seven. In the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation until the end that is decreed is poured out on him. Now, as Daniel is given further prophecies, look at chapter 11. And verse 31. His armed forces, a king that is in place, his armed forces will rise up to desecrate the temple fortress and will abolish the daily sacrifice. Then they will set up the abomination that causes desolation. With flattery, he will corrupt those who have violated the covenant. But the people who know their God will firmly resist him. Look at chapter 12 and verse 11. From that time, the daily sacrifice is abolished and the abomination that causes desolation is set up. There will be 1290 days. Blessed is the one who waits for and reaches the end of the 1,355 days. Daniel 9 Daniel 11 and Daniel 12 speak of the abomination that causes desolation. It obviously, in light of Daniel 9, involves the Jewish temple and Jewish sacrifice. And there are a number of possible interpretations I'm not sure we'll get to them this morning but in light of the sevens that are spoken of in Daniel 9, seven or 70 sevens. We're talking here about 70 weeks. Each week representing seven years. Each day representing a year. And the text of Scripture says, and I realize this is maybe not real large, from the going forth of the command to restore and rebuild Jerusalem... Until the prince, we have seven weeks and three score and two weeks. Notice, it will be rebuilt with streets in a trench, but in times of trouble. After the 62 sevens, the anointed one will be cut off and will have nothing. So we have Jerusalem being rebuilt, Nehemiah chapter 2. We have the prince, 483 years later, being cut off, and that's in relation to Christ. And that's tied in with the triumphal entry. The text of Scripture says, then that there will be a confirming for one week of a covenant. But we notice that the prince is cut off, the Messiah is cut off. That would tie in with the cross. Then we know according to history, Jerusalem was again deeply influenced by Titus in 70 A.D. And in verse 27, he will confirm a covenant with many for one week. That is tied in with a ruler. In the middle of the week, he will put an end to sacrifice and offering. And on a wing of the temple, he will set up an abomination that causes desolation. Now looking at the chart together, Christ, the prince, is cut off. There's a one week, 1260 days, plus 42 months, whichever you want to look at it, when a covenant is made. But in the middle of this period, the text says, in the middle of the seven, he will put an end to the sacrifice and offering. And I understand that there have been debate. For many years, you know, is this past or is it future? Historically, Antiochus Epiphanes in 168 BC would have erected an altar to a god on which sacrifices would have been made and sacrificed a sow in it. Desecrating the temple. But the, what is being spoken of here in Daniel 9 along with Mark chapter 13, Jesus makes it clear it's something future, but yet they could reflect back on what happened under Antiochus IV, knowing what he did in the temple. And then we know that as it relates to History. And Jeff, you want to give me the pronunciation here? Caligula. Caligia, almost right. In A.D. 37 to 41, would have attempted to erect a statue of himself in the Temple of Jerusalem. And some would say that is involved. But during this time the Jews did not flee from Jerusalem. They did not flee to the mountains, and also it never really happened where an image was set up in the temple, because a general did not allow that to happen. Some people say it's tied in with Titus as it relates to the destruction of the temple in 70 A.D., But as you study history, and Josephus would seem to indicate that the Jews, again, did not flee. And Titus was not really interested in setting something up in the temple. And you can think about this. You have questions you can ask in the future, maybe next week. There's also another view which is tied in with the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist which is in the future. Future to even the time period in which we live, future to the time period in which Christ spoke. I am of the opinion that you can look at Antiochus and see some historical reference, which took place before Christ, you know, because of what he attempted to do. But I would fall in the category of its future man of lawlessness, the Antichrist exalting himself in the temple. And I'll just give you a couple reasons for that. One would be that in Mark 13, 14b through 19, as you look at the historical record, people did not flee Jerusalem. Mark 13:20 was not a reality in history. And Mark 13:20 says, "If the Lord had not cut short those days, no one would have survived." And again, we'll discuss the shortening days Lord willing next week. Mark 13: 24 and 25 has not been a reality in history. The sun has not been dark and the moon not giving its light, the stars falling from the sky and the heavenly bodies shaken. And in conjunction with that, verses 26 and 27, at that time the Son of Man will come in the clouds with great power and glory. And again, I think you need to look at verses 14 through 27 as a unit. And it seems like the abomination of desolation is related to in time to the Son of Man coming in the clouds with great power and great glory. And again, I'm not so sure Jesus is passionately concerned that you've got to make sure you've got everything figured out in an exact timeline. The disciples pose some questions and he is answering. The greater emphasis of the passage seems to be alert, to watch. Oh, I got this all figured out. Beware. I mean, you need to be alert and live well in the present. And again, I'll comment more on some of this next week. We'll wrap it up. But I will give opportunities. Does anyone have any question or a brief question? We could spend another 15 minutes or 20 minutes on this, but we won't this morning. Any questions in light of what we have discussed to this point? I'm not saying I'm dogmatically right, I've read a fair amount, I've looked at things over the years, but I think the abomination of desolation is yet future. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for your word. And as we discuss Mark chapter 13, we realize that there may be some debate about some of the timing and so on. May we not get so caught up in that, Father, that we miss Christ, that we miss His warning to the 12 to watch, to be alert, to be in their guard. And may we today, Father, be alert and be in our guard as it relates to events that happen in our world and events that may happen in the future, that we draw close to Christ. We honor your word and live in light of your word. And even if we can't put all the pieces together as well as we may desire to, may we not glory in being able to figure it all out, but glory in resting in Christ, being a people that are watching, that are waiting, people that is alert, and we as a people being on our guard, living in deep sensitivity to you as we seek to be ambassadors in our day to day living. For it's in Christ's name I pray, amen.